One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the home of the song story, the place where musical memories are converted into biographical portraits. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Sarah Comito. Sarah Comito is a poet who moved to Fort Myers 19 years ago after a 10-month stint in an Idaho mountain resort town. She's originally from Massachusetts, where she attended college at the old factory town of Lowell, known as the cradle of the American Industrial Revolution, first as a music major, then graduating with a degree in English. Sarah is married to John Comito, her partner in life and in business. Together they work in the stonemasonry company Elemental Stone and Water Works and run a small urban hobby farm raising bees, chickens, and hot peppers, and quite a bit of other stuff too. Sarah is author of the new poetry collection, Bury Me in the Sky, published by Nix's Mate Books in Alston, Massachusetts. She's a poetry editor for Bending Genres Journal, and her own writing has been published in many print and online magazines around the world. Her son, Reese, works with computers, plus marine and high-performance auto mechanics, and is a budding poet in his own right. I've known her and John and Reese for many moons, so I'm really looking forward to this. Hey there, Sarah. How's it going? Hey, Mike Canary. Long time no see. Not really. That's right. Okay, I just have to break the fourth wall and say not only are we friends, but you're one of the few, and you and John are one of the few people that I actually interact with in the real world on a very short list. So if this sounds familiar between us, that's why. Right. Right. And this is a, a podcast all about the Rolling Stones, it's all right? about the Rolling Stones and bread. <laughs> we will get deep into bread. Sourdough. Sourdough. For the win. Okay. Mike, just for the record, yes. Mike Canary was making sourdough before we were all forced to learn how to make I'm sourdough. I'm a hipster. <laughs> yeah. I was making sourdough before it became mandatory because of the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. That's right. Well, he, he, you really are my bread mentor. I had started doing it a couple of years ago and gave up because I was trying to follow this ridiculous routine that was on YouTube. And I just thought I was terrible at it. If there's one thing I know how to do, it's find the shortest distance between two points. That's why we're good friends. <laughs> okay, cat. You got a new cat? Oh, I got a new baby kitten. What's the cat's name? Avi. Avi? Yeah. Well, What's that mean? So we adopted him from the Caddy Shack, which is the new cat cafe, um, the outlet for the kittens at the Gulf Coast Humane Society. And they had named him Aviati, which to me sounds like a car. But we just kind of shortened it to Avi. That sounds like the name of that company from... Silicon Valley. <laughs> right. Like I like a kind of a Kia. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> is, he is a little monster. He's photogenic. He's so cute. Um, he's very loving and curious and fun and smart. Really, really smart. So uh, hmm. he's. I, I've got high hopes that we can train him to ride in a car and walk on a leash and do all the things. You have him go in the toilet. No, I did that. <laughs> I did that with a cat, and it worked up until the point where she had to go number two, and it splashed, and it scared her, and she she started going in the tub, so we went back to the litter box. Well, okay, there's that. Um, <laughs> so what was the musical background of your child up there? Uh, what was, you were about 30 miles north of Boston, is that about right? West. West? Pretty much due west. Okay. It looked like it was north. West. Oh, you might be looking at um, the location of my alma, alma mater, oh. uh, Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh, right, right. I grew so, up in Milford, which is just between Boston and Worcester. Oh, okay. Right off of the Mass Pike. So what was the musical background of your childhood there? We had a lot of um, Irish music. My dad's from Dorchester, Boston, 
area. Um, and so we were listening to Tom Clancy in the um, – I'm sorry. I'm not sure I have the name right. <laughs> Tom Clancy's no, the, he's, he's the action, Red October guy. Yeah, action author Tom Clancy. You're right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But we listen to a lot of Irish music, uh, folk music, and Simon and Garfunkel. My dad was big into folk music and that kind of thing. You know, r- riding around in the car with my mom in the late 70s, there was what, whatever was on the, the light rock radio, um, Hall and & Oates, and Billy Joel, Jim Croce, and that kind of thing. Hall & Oates. Yeah, and um, actually, I was thinking about it on the way here. Um, a lot of my musical introduction came by way of The Muppet Show. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about one of the earliest experiences I've had with kind of protest music in this kind of era that we're going through. And my first introduction to Buffalo Springfield's Hey Children, What's That Sound song was by the via the Muppet Show. And it just really struck me for this sound I'd never heard before with that single string strum from the guitar and the reverb there and the kind of, I guess, I didn't know what it was at the time, but the stereo uh, separation. Mm-hmm. I saw a comment on YouTube for the song, so this is the best song your left ear will ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, The Muppet Show is a, a big part of it, uh, Sesame Street also. Um, and my parents didn't play instruments, but they were very supportive of music education for me when I um, expressed an interest in that kind of thing. So they got my piano lessons and I tried flute for a little while and gave up on that and then went to clarinet and stuck with that for a long time. And um, they they helped me out with some vocal lessons and that led me to college where I thought I was going to start a career in music. As a singer? Yeah. Um, so I was studying classical music mostly, um, renaissance music, art song, um, performing with some really small choirs doing um, experimental things and sacred music. Yeah. Mm. Um, and my school, UMass Lowell, had a really robust, um, probably still does, music education program. And um, I didn't have the guts to just go in there and say, I'm going to be a performance major. I need to have a thing, a career. So I thought I'd do music education. Um, and I did my classroom observations where you go and sit in a classroom and watch and that scared me off <laughs> <laughs> not for me uh, <laughs> well they didn't teach you the pedagogy before they sent you to go look in the classroom right, so right. i didn't i just it was like just being dropped off in a wilderness area hmm. without any context um when you were younger do you remember music that moved you somehow as a kid that sticks out in your brain sure um well it was interesting that um, we went to a lot of town fair, like town festivals and uh, patriotic events and um, parades and that kind of thing. And I remember standing on the sidewalk as a very small child and a marching band went by with the big bass drums and I could feel it in my chest and it just made um, tears spring up into my eyes. And I think that was the first time I really felt the visceral power of music and there's probably more I could say about, you know, the patriarch, um, and I almost said patriarchy, um, patriotic <laughs> indoctrination of young children. But, um, yeah, I, I just, and then going to some, they, my, my parents took me to musical performances of all types. And just having that, I don't know if there's a word for it, there probably is a German word, where you get the goosebumps and the whole body feels for what you're listening to. 
what we tap into with this show. <laughs> um, well, the, the, the English word for it <laughs> is frisian. Frisian. I like that. There's probably a German word for it, too. Get on that, Richard. <laughs> I'm looking. Um, uh, uh, first music you owned? Um, so my parents would bring me to the library to um, borrow LPs, but I remember the first uh, album that I actually owned was a gift from them, and I think it came as part of an Easter basket, and it was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, cassette? LP. LP? Mm-hmm. Huh. So there was records being spun by your family? Yep. Yeah? Yep. My dad had a record player, and he also had a reel-to-reel. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What would you use that for? Did he record stuff? Does he like? Did, was he like recording? Was, was he making mixtapes like he was a DJ? He probably was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> later on, he gave me some CDs that were basically mixtapes. Um, they were always really cool. Um, but he he had worked in communications uh, somehow with uh, the military and for the military. Um, and to this to this day, he's a ham operator. That's cool. Yeah, we might need that. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, getting, we're getting we're getting closer to that becoming what it's always intended to be. Well, unfortunately, have you, have you met that group of guys that does that do the emergency drills and? Help? I had them on Gulf Coast yeah. Live. Oh, you did. Okay. I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, um, hey, hey, real fast. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, of course, because of how it sounds, Frisian is a French word, right? Frisian. Frisian. It just means to cause a chill. Uh-huh. The German word for Frisian is Frisian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to know, uh, did you ever do uh, any of, like, the ham opera? Like, did you sit with him and ever talk to anybody on, those, on the radio? I or don't, was that his thing? I, that, was, that was mostly his thing. He did have a CB radio for a little while, and I was talking. Big, tall antenna on the back <laughs> of his car. <laughs> I think we just had it in the house, but oh, I, was, okay. I was talking to truckers for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> when you first saw um, uh, Contact with uh, uh, Jody Foster, did that resonate with you extra because of the whole CQ thing? <laughs> Maybe. Um, (laughs) It's funny. You mentioned that a few years ago, and I went back and watched the YouTube of the introduction (laughs) again. (laughs) The movie itself, I'm not sure, but um, the introduction is pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, Put on my glasses here. Um, Okay, so you said you've played music. Um, What were your grandparents listening to? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't don't really remember that. Um, My mom's parents were just not into into music. Okay. And in fact, my grandfather was upset with the advent of radios inside of automobiles because he thought it would be too distracting. Hmm. Might have been onto something. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I didn't know my, my dad's parents. They died shortly after I was born. Um, but I think that music was a pretty big part of their, their household. And um, I don't think it was him, but I think his dad was a really talented kind of a prodigal boogie woogie piano guy huh and my oldest uncle can also um lay down on the keys i i've been asking that lately or i've been thinking about that lately because we had glenn miller on the show do you know glenn miller (laughs) and he he picked a song from the glenn miller orchestra and as soon as we started playing it i was back uh, like in my grandparents house with my grandfather sitting there in front of a radio with his little stand-up ashtray smoking a pipe yeah so Uh, it was it was that was one of those just like Nice. Click. Yeah. Uh, okay. It is time for your first song story. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I think I think what we should do is listen to this song and then I'll talk about it. Okay, so uh, that's that's fine. John Davis did them all the. No, he did this the same way too. Um, okay, Egg and Daughter Night, right? Egg and Daughter Night, Lincoln, Nebraska, nineteen sixty-seven is the full title. And this is a John Prine from his final album, The Tree of Forgiveness, that was released in twenty eighteen. Oh, crazy bone. That is so great. That was the best audio experience of that song I've ever had. These headphones rock. <laughs> yeah, isn't it nice? It's really nice. I, the hand claps in that are just so pure. And then the, <laughs> there's like an undercurrent of vocals that sounds like cows mo- mooing. <laughs> 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 That's just so great. Um, the, the first time I heard that song, it was in a minivan um, on the way to the Las, Ag- Las Vegas airport. Um, I was on a visit to visit my folks and uh, my dad was scrambling to find the song on his um on his playlist so i could hear it um before i got on the plane hmm. um by the way i uncramped my brain while i was listening to that and it's tommy makem and the clancy brothers who okay. is the irish music we were listening to all the time <laughs> um but it's it's relevant because my dad um introduced me to, to john prine a long time ago and uh I mean, not long, not not long ago enough because there was a huge catalog before I discovered him. Um, but the first song my dad gave me from John Prine was "Jesus: The Missing Years," and if you haven't heard that, I highly recommend it. It's it's hilarious, and just like this song, there's um, a lot of silly nonsense, but it couches you know some real deep universal themes like the the endless march of time, and uh, you know the march toward our own uh, mortality. And speaking of which, when John Prine died a couple of year, um, months ago because of this damn virus, it really hit me hard, more so than, you know, usual celebrity deaths do, I think, because of that connection to my dad. And it, he's like the same age, more mm-hmm. or less. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and the crazy bone, crazy bone. I, I think I, I just have to think that is a reminder to stay true to oneself, you know, in the face of everything else that's swirling around you. And if you don't know um, the story of Egg and Daughter Night, I had to look it up. It was a real phenomenon. It probably might still be. I don't know. Um, Lincoln, Nebraska. The egg farmers would all go to town on a specified night and go sell their wares. But before they did that, they dropped their daughters off at the local skating rink. And the, the local menfolk knew about this. And they would go and try to get the uh, attention of some of those young ladies while they were at the skating rink. So there's a lot going on there. No, it's not where I thought we were going with that at all. <laughs> I thought we were eating eggs with our daughter. Uh, I, I did too for a while <laughs> until I looked it up and did the story investigation. Um, I also saw that before John Prine did this last album, he was saying, well, things are going so right. I don't want to mess it up with uh, a new – and he gave us a gift that he didn't even know. Um, did you pick this song because of that moment when your dad shared it? Did yeah. it just kind of tie it all together? Yeah, um, because he wanted to make sure I had this music in my head before I got on the plane to leave again. And it's a very disjointed thing to be in a family when you're spread around the country. And it's even more so now with this pandemic. And I was supposed to see them in uh, May. Didn't get to. Uh, he hit pretty hard by John Prine's passing? We didn't talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as a poet, which you yeah. are, yes. we'll get to this more later, what are your thoughts on, or let me ask you this, is there a kind of rhyme 
that's is there a name for when you just don't rhyme like he does in that song a couple times <laughs> seems like he's just like i'm john prine i yeah. can do what i want <laughs> the john prine non-rhyme yeah um i don't know um uh, i'm you know I, I did study english in college after i um gave up on the idea of doing music as a career but um a lot of the poetry that i do is my own thing, just from reading stuff and doing my own stuff. Uh, I don't know the names for a lot of things. Like, I don't know the names for all the parts of speech, but I right. pretty much write for a living. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, the music, I didn't I didn't give up on the music either. It's still a big part of my life. Well, sure. And it's you'll find it in the poetry. Um. Was it easy to go to English instead of music? I mean, was that like, or is that just like a fallback? Like, ooh, I'll be a, a, an English major. <laughs> well, the fallback was I'm not going to be a music teacher. I'm going to be a music business person. Okay. Um, and then I took accounting, which really told me I should go back to uh, my first love, which is writing, <laughs> <laughs> writing in language arts. Um, now, I, I had been kind of split on what I was going to do. Um, I knew I had a talent for music and a love for it, but I also knew I had a talent and love for writing. And also science was kind of the third um, part of that fork of the road, um, oceanography specifically or marine biology. Could you do chemistry? I love chemistry. Yeah, I, yeah. Did, I did do chemistry. I like that a lot more than um, algebra, for instance. Right. I mean, I could muddle my way through that. Um, probably not anymore, but the chemistry, when you do the equations, it's more like simple and a little more poetry, really. Yeah, it's elegant. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, do you remember when you wrote your first poem? Was that like a young kid thing? Was that like a, a teen angst thing? It was a teen angst thing. Yeah. Well, I, I say that, but I do have a couple books where I've got, um, you know, some beginner poetry from like fourth grade or something. But as far as wanting to do it and doing it on my own as an expression, that came probably age 13, 14. And it was kind of an angsty thing. But it was also, I was watching um, the PBS series, Anne of Green Gables, when she, when they go into the, the, the Lady of the Lake, you know, the Lady of Shalott and all this kind of King Arthur stuff. And so I was, I was going into kind of a fantasy realm with my poetry and there was some elemental magic stuff, and I spent a lot of time alone by myself in the woods as a kid, and it just seemed to kind of flow. In the woods in Massachusetts. Yep. Um, uh, did you show people your poems right off the bat, or did that take time? I showed my mom my poems, and she was very supportive. Um, I showed some uh, supportive friends. Um, one of my friends took it home, and her mom did calligraphy, and she brought it home the next week. Um, in a calligraphy um, hand, and it was a really nice gesture. Hmm. So I had some good early support for it. Do you remember the first time you got up in front of people and did it as like an open mic kind of performance thing? I think that must have been in college. Yeah. And uh, there was, um, well, UMass Lowell is kind of the cradle of not in, not only the Industrial Revolution, but also the, the Beat Poet Revolution. Hmm. So they do still have a Kerouac Festival. He lived there for a time. Um, and so it's very easy. It was very easy to find a cafe on any given night that was doing a poetry open mic read. 
Um, and so that's kind of how you and I met. I was doing kinda. it. Kind of. Kind of. I was looking for an auxiliary living room in Fort Myers, and I found it at Liquid Cafe. And it wasn't a poetry read. It was open mic. So I felt I had to kind of, like, throw some sharp elbows to get some attention in their room doing it. And, you know. But you did. I did. Had you done a lot prior to then, or was that kind of an expansion? Because I didn't really, you just showed up, and <laughs> you would always sit, I remember, right at the end of the bar, right there, kind of at the, t- at the tip of the bar, right? That's yeah. where you would sit. <laughs> right. And, and then, yeah, you were one of the first people that would get up and do that kind of stuff. Had you done a lot, or were you starting to do more? Well, I had done quite a bit, because like I said, it was easy to come by in Lowell, and it was kind of um, normalized to do so. And there was this cool thing, there was this old bar and like a lot of the buildings there was an old factory with a lot of glass and um, brick on the wall. And they had a jazz band, a house band, and you'd go up and read your poetry and kind of clue them in on what, what kind of feel they w- you want, and they would play behind you. And so that was really cool. You've done that before too now, right? Well, yeah, I was doing that with uh, Rhythm Culture a couple times. Yeah. And um, Ayib and a few other people yeah. kind of spontaneously. Ayib, I haven't thought of him for a while. Yeah. Um, you should have him on the show. <laughs> no, it's not a bad idea, actually, yeah. Um, um, did you meet John there at Liquid? No, but I did meet him through the the community. Gotcha, yeah. okay. And when when did you start coming to Liquid? I'm trying to remember the timeline. I moved here in 2001. Okay, so? And pretty soon after that, well, I was a new mom. I was I had only um, had my son four weeks before I moved here. Wow. Um, I actually traveled with him when he was two weeks to go back to Massachusetts, um, so I came here, um, it was May 2001, and I probably started going to downtown by myself, um, I don't know, late fall. Right before September 11th. Yeah. Remember those big banners we had on the wall? Giant banners that everybody did art on, and we filled yeah, yeah. up one, and then we had to put another one above it because the first one got filled That's up. That's right, yeah. I shot video of those. And I have this. I can show it to you. And it's funny that you mentioned the Buffalo Springfield song because I went to put the Buffalo Springfield song to the to the video. And I this is analog days, and I only had one of the two RCA connectors wasn't plugged in all the way. So the first time I dubbed it over, it was only one channel of that song. But I liked it so much, I left it that way. <laughs> so I actually have a video of the... September 11th banners shot at Liquid with one channel of Buffalo Springfield song. Full I'd, circle. I'd like to see that. I'll have to show it to you. Maybe we'll put it on the Facebook for adjacent content for exactly. this show. Um, so um, last show you saw before social distancing. It was Thievery Corporation okay. in Orlando. And the opening act was... Um, um, Tiny Universe. What's the guy's name? I'm drawing a blank. I'll probably think of it during the next song. Tom Clancy? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't real familiar with him. Um, oh, shoot. Um, I think his last name's Denson. I'm not sure. But um, our friend Biff was at that show. Our friend Biff. Our friend Biff. That's not the band name. Nope. That's a person <laughs> who a we person. know. <laughs> That's a pe- that's a person. Oh yeah, that was when you guys went and hung out with Biff afterwards. Yes, that's right. I remember you texted you say, me a picture. Did you say Denson? Yes. Carl Denson? Thank you. Thank you. Is that right? Car- yes, it is. Carl Denson Tiny Universe. He was great. They were great. It the venue was um House of Blues, which I'd never been to. Um it was a really really 
cool. If you're listening eating. to this show, you owe it to yourself to Google Carl Denson and look at the picture because that guy's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got the beard and the glasses. It says American flautist, but he's got a big old saxophone on the picture. <laughs> <laughs> he's flouting the fact that he plays saxophone. Oh. <laughs> uh, best concert ever. That's hard. First one that popped into your head. Um, John and I went to see The National um, at the San Augustine Amphitheater last June. And that was cool because we hadn't been going to see shows um, and made a decision while we're standing at the table at the place where our families go camping together. And uh, our friend Julie Ireland was there. We were talking about music. And I said, John, we need to start traveling to go see some music. So we made um, plans to go see the National they're playing at the St. Augustine Amphitheater, which is on the same um, property, more or less, as a state park right on the, near the beach. So we camped there, walked to the show. It was tremendous. Courtney Barnett opened. She is phenomenal. She played flute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. She probably could. <laughs> um, um, okay, let's get to your second song. Okay. Uh, I'll talk about this one first. Okay. Um, so I kind of started segueing into the story a little bit in the last one. Um, the song is called um, Thank You, and the artist is Dido. The song came out in 1998. But I had, let's see, it was the year 1999 into 2000, and I made a sudden life pivot. I was having, I guess, like an existential crisis and moved um, from Mass, uh, from uh, actually New Hampshire was where I was living at the time, to Idaho, to this beautiful mountain resort town called Sun Valley. Um, actually, the, the, that's the area, the town I moved to was Ketchum, and I later moved to Haley just down the, the pass. And uh, I got swept up into uh, a whirlwind romance and started working at a bar, great old um, institution called the Roosevelt. I just looked it up. It's no longer there, sadly. Hmm. Um, but um, it was a, I fell in with a great group of people. There was um, great music there all the time. Um, didn't last very long because I discovered I was pregnant, which was a great surprise gift. And um, the, the relationship I was in didn't live up to the, the promise of the romance. And in fact, I found myself to be very isolated and, um, yeah, feeling very alone, lonely. And, um, but I, I received a bunch of blessings in the, in, um, a circle of women that I surrounded myself there with. Just a moment. I got the tissue on. I told you we have and tissues. I, I know. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I bought, I needed to buy a computer. So I bought a giant desktop Dell. <laughs> I don't think there were, I don't even know if um, laptops were a thing then. And it had uh, sample, sample music inside the computer. Right. Um, and one of the sample songs was this song, Thank You, from Dido. And I just, for some, it just struck me really well. And I listened to it over and over again. I was by myself a lot, but I, the baby was growing. and um, Baby Reese. Baby Reese. And I uh, played the song for him. And I tried to, you know, turn some gratitude outward. And that worked out because I got a new job at the uh, 
the town, it's a community library. It's not attached to a municipality or government or anything. It's community run. And it had all these women working there, grandmothers and moms. And one woman was kind of like the storykeeper for the whole area. Um, and they were just very supportive. They actually <laughs> encouraged me to go lie down on the on the couch in the break room when I got really tired, which I did. Um, and they were just really super kind, and it was a perfect job. It was a beautiful place. And um, if anybody wants to go online and see the building itself, it's called the Ketchum Community Library. Um, and then I had the support of my, my midwife and my doula, and um, one of my best friends came out to visit me, and she... I was telling her about this cat I saw in the newspaper, and she said, let's go get him. <laughs> so she was an instigator. So I had my Merlin. He was just a magical cat, and he would sit on my belly and purr, and so I felt less alone for that. Um, and I had just uh, finished, uh, speaking of pivots, massage school, and it was a pretty intensive program in New Hampshire where they – have you do a uh, research project. It's almost like a, a mini thesis, really. And I did mine on pregnancy massage, um, pregnancy and labor massage. So I said, oh, I'm equipped for this. Let's just do this, you know, all natural. And I did, and it was it was fine. Um, I was, it, it might sound silly, but I think I was so bonded with this um, baby because I was, I was protective of him. I didn't want him to be out in the world. He was two and a half weeks late, which they don't let you do, you know, in a normal setting. Um, had something of a precipitous birth from start to finish was six hours. <laughs> um, he was perfect. I needed to go to the hospital right quick. Um, so they rushed me in an ambulance. And um, the AM EMTs gave Re baby Reese a, a nine APGAR. I don't know if you know what that is. Mm. Um, it's kind of a score based on, you know, the, the appearance of the skin, the lustiness of the cry, which is a great phrase, um, and his size and weight and just his health index. And I understand that paramedics never give a nine. <laughs> so that was unheard of. So nine being high. High. Yes. yes. Um, almost perfect. Almost godlike, I guess. <laughs> 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 um, so they rushed me, and I, I think I functionally died for a second on the way there. Um, they had to. I was on a second floor of a townhome, and they had to kind of tip me up in the gurney to get me down the stairs. And I remember floating into a really, you know, other place and having to kind of psych myself into coming back. Hmm. It was almost like when you have uh, an alarm going off and you're like, I could hit snooze mm -hmm. or I can just get up and do what I have to do. So I felt I really felt that like I had made a choice. Got down the stairs, and it had started snowing. It was April 6th, and it hadn't snowed for a little while. And I was hallucinating. It looked like pink glitter. It was really beautiful. So I got to the hospital. They helped me out. Um, doctor there was another part of my circle of women. They were like angels there. Um, she saved my life. I'd lost 60% of my blood. And she's asking me questions like, are you a healthy girl? Yes. She says, I'm asking you because I need to decide whether to give you transfusion right now. So we were able to bypass that hmm. and um, stayed at the hospital for two nights and went home. And two weeks later, flew to Massachusetts. And two weeks after that, flew to Florida. Um, my son's dad had come down here to be closer to his parents. And so I did, too, not having 
thought of any other options and um, one day I showed up at Liquid Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> Me too. Um, well, you want to listen to this? Yeah. Okay, so you're playing this on your giant Dell PC. Yep. Um, over and over again with Baby Reese. Yeah. What's that make you feel listening you know, to that here now? It's a little bit dated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um. I think it holds up pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very it got a lot of error time. Yeah, it's a it's a sweet song. Um, and um, I thought maybe by listening to it after the story, I wouldn't get emotional. But the song's actually hopeful. You know, it's it's in a very major key that way. Yeah. Um, does Reese have any idea the the significance of that time and place and him and you and Yeah, he knows that I don't know if he knows about the song. I should probably tell him about that. He might listen to this. Right? Maybe. Oh yeah. Well I'm I'm pretty sure he will. Hi Reese. <laughs> hey buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, how, how does it feel like to think back to that story and that time and that uncertainty and to know where you are and you know, uh how he has turned out and everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's beautiful really. I mean, um, when I was in the process of giving birth, my my uh, my doula told me, um, she said, "This is this is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Everything else after this, you're going to feel more capable for having done this." And um, it really kind of felt like a universal test. Um, things were things would actually get harder for a, a long time after that. Um, but um, the meaning of the song is um, those people were there for me. They didn't even really know me. I was only there for like nine, ten months. <laughs> um, they really cared for me. And then um, I came here and found my community that I have. I, I'm glad that I can be part of that community. And I'm just wondering, like when you first came in Liquid, was it like, I feel like it would feel immediately obvious that we had something going on? It did. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it was partly an escape. Right. But it, it was a cool place to escape to. And I think I need to shout out to Sandra <laughs> for having yeah. that place and for having all the cool people there that she did. Artists. Um, I just don't think there's anything here like that anymore. Not quite like what we had. It was certainly, it was a different time too, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Sandra, hey. Sandy. She's in New Mexico. I know. She's listening to us right now, too. So you have to be on the show someday, Sandy. Oh. We've tried a couple times, but it hasn't quite worked out. Um, let's talk about that new book of yours. Yeah. Bury Me in the Sky has a really beautiful cover. <laughs> uh, yeah okay in the interest of full disclosure I, I, a photograph that I took is on the cover of Sarah's book Bury Me in the Sky which is a really great book I encourage you to get it and explore it um, I've read through it kind of non-sequentially you know I just pick it up at certain times and it's really great so congratulations thank you um, yeah it's a it's a strange time to be trying to market yeah. a new book not only because you know, there's not a lot of um, live events I can hold. Um, my my publisher is in Boston, um, and I, I surely would have gone up there to do some stuff with them there. Um, I did get to uh, visit with uh, the designer and uh, one of the main people at Nix's Mate Publishing when I went to um, a big writer's conference in March, which was on the verge of being canceled because we started getting 
information about this virus. Um, so you, that was like the last thing that you were able to do out in the world? Yes, it was. Really glad we got to do it. Um, I got to bring John, my husband, with me this time, and he got to meet my writer friends, which was great because up until this point, I'm not sure he really knew if they were real if I was making right. them up. <laughs> yeah. You were just actually going up to like Charlotte County and staying in a hotel for a week. <laughs> no, um, it was it was really great. And San Antonio is where it was held. And that's a really interesting city, too. Um, yeah, the book is, um, I forget how many poems, I think 24, or actually more. If you're selling a book, you always have to carry it with you, yes. so I've got it. Um, so, I don't know why. It's 67 pages, and most of the pages, most of the poems take up one to two pages. Um, and it's a collection of work that I started probably around 2000, 2009 to uh, just like a year or two ago, Um so I have a huge amount of work in my file system, and this is just things that I thought worked together, and, a, and I put them into categories. And uh, there's music in there. There's a lot of rhythm. Um, there's a lot of wordplay. There's a lot of non-rhyme. There's some internal rhyme, some residual rhyme. John Prine rhyme. John, <laughs> John Prine non-rhyme. Yep. <laughs> so I'm still excited about it. Um, but I, as I was saying, it's it's not only that there aren't a lot of venues to go – market it's it's a little bit depressing the the time that we're in you know it's a little hard to find the energy to do what you think you you need to do to keep things going first book first book yeah can you imagine if somebody would have told you so, 10 years ago you're going to publish your first book like two weeks before a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> hmm um, how'd you and John meet? You said you didn't meet at Liquid, mm-hmm. but you met through the people through Liquid. Do you like how'd you guys first get together? We just met through friends, just yeah. hanging out in a group with, and somebody said, "Hey, the, here's John." <laughs> 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 and then um, so we we met up a couple times, um, and when I finally extricated myself from the kind of the the mire that I was in. And I needed to find a place to stay, and I got a, I helped a friend pay rent for a really cheap apartment in a attic in a house close to downtown. And um, John was living downstairs, and um, we just kind of naturally decided that I would eventually move downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, what'd you guys dance to at your wedding? What was your first dance? Um, we didn't, was there a proper first dance? No, I was there. You were there. Um, yeah, you you, um, you were there for the the ceremony, and then we didn't really have a, a traditional structure to anything. Um, we had our our friends play music, Miko and J- James Taylor, and um, James Taylor. Uh, yeah. Ken Kaler. No, <laughs> he was a mandolin player. Oh, uh, so the, and Nathan, yeah, yeah, sort of the pawn guys. And uh, yeah, and Cat Apple was sweet enough to play flute for us for our ceremony. Yeah, the pawn guys. guest on this show. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think they were Pond Water Experiment at that time. Okay, right, right, right. Now they are. Um, they were the earlier version of them are who made the theme song for Gulf Coast Live, which is the radio show that I produce. Right, and I remember being at the release party for the song. I don't even remember that. <laughs> I was there, I bet. 
<laughs> it was on the, it was at the beach. Um, oh, is it like Orpheus? Yes. Probably. Yes. Huh. Um, so your book's getting good feedback. I'm seeing good reviews, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, what's that like? What's that feel like to like, you know, because you've shown your work to other people, to other poets, you've had mm-hmm. feedback. What's it like to get it from sort of the world in, in a different way? It feels great. It feels um, feels natural. It feels encouraging. It feels like um, it's something in the, in the universe that makes sense. Uh, you know, I've supported a lot of other writers in a lot of other ways to the best of my ability. And now they're supporting me. And um, so, you know, I've got my community here locally, but I've also got this community all around the world of people who support each other. Um, it's a little bit hard to break out of that into the general public when you have a very small press and a very small book. And there's, I don't know if, what the poetry market is like in general, but, um, you know, when I hear, I especially love it when somebody that I didn't even know about the book contacts me or does a, a Goodreads review or Amazon review, that kind of thing. Are you like fastidiously looking at for reviews pop up on Amazon? Do you get a notification? <laughs> How does that work? No, um, there aren't too many because I just haven't been pushing. You really have to push. You have yeah. to ask your friends for a lot of things. And I'm, I'm, I really don't mind doing it for other people. Um, but like I said, my energy level is just kind of low with this whole uncertainty thing right now. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had somebody from, um, where was he from? Um, Zimbabwe. And, um, he's, he's a poet that's been in exile to, um, Bulgaria and he contacted me and asked me to submit some poems to his blog. And so I'm there and, uh, Rhino Poetry, which is a really, prestigious poetry annual journal decided to review my book and um, a friend of mine Luke Johnson did a, a, a review of my book so they're they're around they're kind of like seeding the the atmosphere um, and I'm looking forward to you know getting this book out into more people's hands but I'm also looking forward to doing a different kind of book at some point do you do prose short stories novel is that in there somewhere or is that yeah I've your got, thing i've got some fiction together i've gotten some um some short stories together um prose poetry is something i'm doing a little bit more and uh, poetic prose so there's like you know where's the tipping point one to the other i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i happen to be a poetry journal for uh, a poetry editor for a journal called bending genres for that reason so there's kind of a s- slippy slippy line there which is fun to play with what was the name of the thing that you did on you published you you published some of my haiku oh (laughs) i did (laughs) (laughs) what was that called i forget i had a um an online literary journal an art journal called orion headless that's what it was yeah 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 that was fun and that's how i that's how i made a lot of the friends that i have now around the world um if you were a championship wrestler what would the song that you would come into be (laughs) God. <laughs> oh, jeez. Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's what Eric Raditz made me play at the beginning of TGIM every time we did it this last season. Oh, is that right? I, that's that's the only reason I know that name. <laughs> um, so, um, do you play music in the background while you're writing, or do you write in silence? Um, I usually write in silence, but sometimes I will have some classical music on in the background, or some kind of cinematic or atmospheric. Um, Ambient music. Um, do you have any TV, TV theme songs committed to memory that you'd like to <laughs> sing with us? Or for us. You're a singer. We can put you to work. <laughs> I'm going to Google here. I've got one. I mean, when I was a kid, I think I knew all of them. But um, the one I <laughs> have committed to memory, and I'm not trusting my brain to uh, not cramp up, is uh, the community theme. <laughs> oh, Richard. <laughs> Uh, I am with you. Yeah, no, I think uh, the long one or the regular, like the, the full song. The regular one, just the the, um, the it's from really, the show. Yeah, yeah, it's very short. Uh, the eighty-eight is the rock band that does it. Or they, it. for the record, while we while we wait for it to spool up here and skip the ads, uh, they there was a great little you know pandemic derived. Um, yeah, but that's the full song. You can just use the. There was one that was like a minute, and it said the intro. Put theme song. Uh, that one, thirty second one is fine. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. This it's is, not very long. This um, is short. So, so uh, real fast. Uh, they they had a like a little pan pandemic driven um, Zoom call thing where they performed it. Oh. Um. They they performed the episode uh, where they do Pierce's will. Okay. Right, the live reading, the reading of the will episode. And so they did that live with with the cast and on the way into the episode, they they had a live performance of the song. Nice. Um I think by the guy that maybe it was the guy from the band. Um I'm not sure. It was he one guy with an acoustic guitar, but it was just really neat seeing somebody play. I mean, they did it in real time, so like they played the song and then they went into the episode. So Okay, well, let's listen to it. Yeah. I, I, I just finished this, so I should know some of it. It's only 26 seconds, so here we go. Yeah. Give me some rope, tie me to dream. Give me the hope to run out of steam. Somebody said it could be here. We could be roped up, tied up dead in a year. And I can't count the reasons I should stay. One by one, they all just fade away. Bam, bam. I think we could have done worse. <laughs> <laughs> Did I hear you, Richard? I don't know if I, I Richard. I don't know. I hope so. Uh, well, I was just focused on me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I love. I love. No that, one should focus on me. I love that little song because it's um, it's just it's very much just like cheerful nihilism, which yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> reflects the show quite a bit. The first part is getting ever you know the pitch is growing, getting higher, mm-hmm. and then they. They enter the kind of swing rhythm. Yeah. And, and then the lyrics. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I hadn't really focused on the lyrics until about halfway through, and then I, I ended up watching some episodes with the subtitles turned on. So I got to see exactly what the lyrics were, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tie me to dream. Give yeah. me the hope to run out of steam. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Roped up, tied, tied up, up, dead in a year. year. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, okay, so this is going actually quite a ways back, but because uh, you, you reminded me of it, Sarah, with your music analysis brain, um, you talked about the Dido song being dated. Yeah, I wanted to know what you thought about um, 
it its resurgence after it got used in Stan by Eminem. Oh. And does that change the like I mean I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if I've heard it. Ooh. <laughs> uh let's ooh. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with that. Um so um okay, quick background for just us here, I think. Um uh Eminem comes out with a song about a stalker who is writing him letters. Um and the guy's name is Stan, he's obsessed, and they the the song uh uses thank you as like a uh he samples it's not even a sample it's a it's like a mashup between that song and his rapping mike's gonna play it here this is a music video so there's some sound effects he's he's pouring he's bleaching his hair so he looks like eminem oh he's looking in the mirror staring in the mirror is that her yeah i mean the woman oh is that dido maybe (laughs) i don't know yeah i think it is He's in a room completely surrounded by pictures of Eminem on the wall. I guess, and she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. Well, it's part of the it's part of the plot. Yeah, and he's downstairs. Well, I think that sounds cool, and it makes it makes sense because the 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 original song has a lot of air inside of it. Mm -hmm. It's breathy. It's got a lot of space to kind of interpolate, and um, the beat's already there. Just needs to be amplified a bit. Um, It's interesting because she Dido performs. with Faithless sometimes and, uh, you know, kind of an electronic dance uh, gig. And I think the uh, the leader of that group is actually her sibling. Hmm. I'm not real sure about that. But um, so she's not a stranger to kind of electronic stuff. Um, have you seen Hamilton yet? No. Cost you about six bucks right now. We'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to have a Hamilton watching party. Oh, let's do that. You just do, yeah, Disney Plus it. Yeah, no, that's not a bad oh, that's idea. That's the second. That'll be sorry. That's two episodes in a row sponsored by Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, musicals. You, you guys like to see musicals. You guys ever go to like you know, you know when when Book of Mormon comes to Barber B Man or something like that. I'd love to see Book of Mormon. Um, you know, we. I think we were allocating the entertainment budget that we have to travel around the state and see shows. Right. And we've kind of piggybacked that onto going camping in different state forests and exploring springs, um, which we've started doing more in the last couple of years with um, how the water's just been so spoiled here. That used to be our playground, and, you know, we have a little boat and everything, but we just started exploring the interior of the state a little more because it's still a little bit more pristine. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, it is time for song number three. All right. How would you like to proceed? Um, Let's listen to it first. All right. Well, this is uh, um, Blood Buzz Ohio. Yep. Uh, by the National, who you mentioned from their 2010 album of the same name. First of all, I wanted people to hear the song first um, if they haven't heard it before. Uh, I think it's it's a song that you could probably take away a di- bunch of different stuff from. Um, that's how I approach my my poetry too. It's nice when people come back and give me an analysis of my poem that I didn't intend at all. And I love that um, because then it can dance outside of what I put into it. And uh, I think the song is kind of that same way. To me, um, first of all, it's significant because it's one of the bands that John and I discovered together. It wasn't something that we brought from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it really speaks of the strength and courage it takes to be vulnerable with somebody when you have been marked by by life 
in numerous ways. Um, there's there's an identity that you don't escape from, if, even if you want to, and that has to do with where you come from, what you've been through. And you bring that into a relationship, and reckoning with that is something that you have to agree to with um, a transparency and honesty and um, bravery. Um, and so I also love the um, the poetry in that song with the bees. You know, a lot of people say that only Sylvia Plath could get away with writing about bees. As a poet. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, it can be done and... Uh, the the bee swarm to me represents that energetic pull of identity and that keeps pulling you back to self, you know, no matter how you try to make yourself over. Um, and as you know, John and I have a couple of bee colonies that we keep and try to manage, and that's not our full-time job. So it's been a long, slow learning curve, and I think that also is reflective of being an adult an adult relationship um, and that, which is a process, not a destination. The song, I just love how it builds so slowly and the, the repetition that's just, it's almost like a heartbeat. Um, it's almost like a, you know, driving a car. Um, and the brooding vocals, I just love Matt Berniger's vocals, um, the whole band and the orchestra, the orchestration and instrumentation is just so smart. Uh, when it builds to that, that raucous type of, um, explosion at the end with all the brass and everything. It just, it gives me the frisier. Frisian. Frisian. <laughs> That's German for a frisian. <laughs> nuclear frisier. <laughs> um, do you, um, do you, you know, you've seen them live. What's that yeah. like seeing that song live? Oh, just, it's just so, so good. I mean, they're so polished. And their presentation on stage is humble, um, but to see them in a large venue with the lights and the sound, the sound there was so good. If, I, I said it again. If you have an opportunity to go to the Amp to see a show, I highly recommend it. The sound was just, it blew my socks off. We've been to a couple shows since and before, and I just don't think that, I don't know if they could be matched. It was just so great. Hmm. Why did you pick this song in particular? Um, of all the songs. Because I think it is the first song that we both heard from the National, and we okay. heard it together. Aww. And th those themes, I think, are really yeah. relevant. You guys have tried hard to get me to listen to these guys. I'll have to now. <laughs> I take on new music slowly, but yeah. I really enjoyed that a lot. His voice reminds me of Jonathan Richmond. Do you know Jonathan, Jonathan Richmond? He was so. the modern lovers guy. Oh. He was the, he was the, uh, the, the strange, disconnected guitar player in Something About Mary. Oh, okay. If that makes any sense. I don't really remember the film very well, very well but okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look into his music, too. Uh, yeah, well, he, he did. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about bread a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the, um, the premier little bonus content um, to um, promo your new sourdough bread baking podcast. Uh, yeah, it's going to be called Bread with an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do dream of, this is, I've told Richard and Tara this many times, I dream of having a bakery with a little podcast studio built into it. Yep. So people can come and buy bread 
and pastries, which Richard and, and Chrissy yeah. will make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they could watch us make this show. And other people can come and rent our studio to make their shows. Uh-huh. We're going to call it, uh, what are we going to call it? Three oh. Bread Stories? I think, oh, we actually had Bread, bread, bread. Bread, bread, bread. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, the Yeasty Boys? The Yeasty, the yeasty Boys. boys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's the top contender right now. <laughs> the Yeasty Boys. Goodness yeah. gracious. <laughs> um, uh, do you listen to music while you're baking bread? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I do a lot of – I listen to a lot of storytelling podcasts. So I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with that. Um, but I do listen to m- music. Um, in fact, sometimes those things combined – I don't know if you're familiar with the Song Exploder podcast. Richard is. Richard yeah. is. Oh, I, I can't evan- evangelize about, yeah. enough about that. Um, it's um, – the host will – talk with people that have created, you know, songs that are pretty well known. And he it, sounds remarkably like me in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Yes. Um, I played it for my wife and she looked at me funny like I was making a podcast I hadn't told her about. His name is Rishkesh Yerway? Rishkesh Yerway? Oh, yeah, I think so. Rishkesh Yerway. It's, it, it sounds better. It's, I can say it better if I say it fast. <laughs> but um, yeah, he talks with the artists and what the, they think the song is about or where it came from and they break down track by track and sometimes measure by measure and they piece it together almost like um, um, transparencies on top of each other and then you hear the whole song at the end and it's just brilliant. And it'll make it, if you love a song and you listen to it over and over again and then you hear it in this way that's deconstructed and then put it back together, it's, just, it's a deeper um, hmm. appreciation yeah. for it. I'm also going to proselytize for one uh, in in return for for that because I think that that's great that you're sharing um, Song Exploder. Um, uh, I've said this before on the show, but there's a community, the show, based podcast hosted by Joel McHale and Ken Jeong called The Darkest Timeline. And it's just... Which we're in. Which, yeah, (laughs) we may very well be in. It's very very good. Um, It's not super polished because they're just kind of doing they're just talking with an audio guy connecting them but it's really fun hearing them talk about the show and then ken answers like medical questions <laughs> which is always fun to watch so yeah um yeah if you like podcasts and you like getting a deeper level of if you're a community fan that's definitely tailor-made i've heard it yeah and uh they gave me the tip to skip most of season three <laughs> Don't skip it. <laughs> just don't maybe rewatch it when you're watching again. All right. <laughs> no, you need to see season. I'll give it a I'll give it a second yeah. chance. Okay, we're coasting in toward the end here, so I'm going to speed round you some of these questions. Uh-oh. Okay, so this is you know just visceral response. Okay. Um, if you can learn any instrument instantly, what would it be? Guitar. Uh, electric or acoustic? Electric. Band that you've spent the most time listening to in your life? Oh, jeez. Um. The Beatles. Uh, uh, what radio stations do you have saved on your car radio besides WGCU? That's it. That's it? <laughs> okay, good answer. Uh, did, was there a fourth song that you had to kick off the island? Oh, uh, there were many. Um, instead of the Prine song, uh, Contender was uh, Short People by um, Randy Newman. Oh, we haven't had any Randy Newman on this show yet. Yeah. That seems like a disappointment. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a song that I grew up, I was really small. And I thought the song was about me. Um, I didn't understand the, the nuance there. And a lot of people didn't understand the nuance. I understood um, uh, people got really upset about it, thinking that he was actually prejudiced against short people. 
Hmm. Um, to the point where he, the artist himself, disavowed himself, disavowed the song. I think um, functionally. Wow. Um, Randy Newman did. Yeah. Like the like that's okay. I think he got, gave into the pressure, um, which is too bad because it really is. Uh, Maybe clever. he doesn't like short people. <laughs> Maybe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they really called him out. But I mean, um, it's it's a good little study. I think in what I think is satire in pointing out the foibles of society in a very um, you know fool you know blatant way. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, uh, here is a Wikipedia. Uh, Newman would later grow to dislike the song and its success, eventually calling it a bad break, um, a novelty record like The Chipmunks. Mm. Um, I'd like to hear Randy uh, Newman do The Chipmunks. I mean, <laughs> Um, like with his voice. You know? right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in 1978, the state of Maryland uh, delegate Isaiah Dixon attempted to introduce legislation making it illegal to play short people on the radio. They're like, it like didn't work book out, burning but... for music. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear something contemporary in that same, what I think is actually accomplishing what Randy Newman maybe set out to accomplish, maybe not. Um, Tim Minchin has a, a song, and you can see the video for um, the song called Prejudice. Hmm. Okay. Recommend. Um, uh, album that you would choose to listen to if you can only pick one, like like if if you're going to be put on an island with one album, what would what would last the longest before you got sick of it? Uh, probably "Hounds of Love" by Kate Bush. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know that one, but apparently it's good, according to Sarah Comito. Um, what would your 14 year old self think of who you are today? Um, she'd be proud. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 14-year-old me was um, kind of um, a little fearful and uh, fearful of being herself. And so, um, hey, kid, you're as good as you are. Would she, be, would she be surprised that you lived in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, at this age, I'm surprised. <laughs> Had you ever been to Florida before you came here? Sure, yeah. Okay. Uh, can you recommend three people? Who you'll share this podcast with that you think we should have on as guests. Yes. The first one might be a little hard to get because she's very busy in her in her work. Um, Brooke Wagenheim of Chef Brooke's Natural Cafe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, good friend of mine, known her a long time. We've worked together at various points. I would love that. That would be great. And we've bonded over music. And she's got a huge um, encyclopedic brain for it. Her name bounced around when we were first conceptualizing the show. Maybe we'd come do it at, at the cafe. Oh, that would work. Make make it easier on her. And she'd probably give you some scones or something. I figure. That's a win. <laughs> okay. Win. So that's one. <laughs> um, your friend and mine, Julie Ireland. Ah, okay. Because she and I bonded strong, strongly about music. We can make that happen. Yeah. I've also got this idea of putting Declan on this show. Oh, her, there you her, go. Her, I've been thinking about trying to find a kid. Maybe we could make them do it together. Because I know cool. Ian would never do this in a minute. Right. Well, I don't know. Maybe he would. Anyway, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll put them all three on. Anyway, I digress. Continue. That's okay. Um, and another friend of mine, visual artist, uh, Dharma Lefebvre. Okay. Um, I know who she is. Yes. She works down at Sydney and Byrne, right? She does. Okay. And I know a lot, you know, she's a good friend of mine, known her a long time. I know a lot about her visual art, but I really don't know much about her um, song stories. Okay. Well, put this, put a bug in all their ears about this episode when it comes out, which will be in a week or two, and uh, and we'll get them on the show. Cool. Okay. Uh, and then the last question, music you'll avoid listening to. Ugh. Something that makes you go, uh, turn it off. Yeah. Run well, away. Yeah. 
scream like I'm on a Japanese roller coaster. <laughs> scream in your heart. Scream in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like commercial radio, but I'm, I can't avoid it when I'm working on the job site. I work with oh, John yeah, and yeah, his yeah, stone yeah. work. Um, because a, of everyone else who's around has their yeah. own little like radio setups going. Right. A lot of K-Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, there's a couple. The first one that comes to mind is Cherry Pie by Warrant. Okay. It's just gross. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then some of these new bands doing covers of old songs that they should really just leave alone because they're not doing anything interesting with it. They're just putting their own bravado on it. Okay. Well, that's it. Got any final thoughts? No. This is fun, but I'm tired. I can take a nap. <laughs> let's hope your car starts. Yeah, let's hope my car starts. Bread! 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 <laughs> Yeasty boys! Yeasty boys! <laughs> we make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes hosts. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to many Saturday mornings at Liquid Cafe, which used to be on the corner of First and Hendry in downtown Fort Myers in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was a magical little place that served good coffee and sandwiches and salads and supported and was kind of central to at least one slice of the local art scene. We had live music multiple times a week, an open mic night that ran on Tuesdays for years. There was a new art show every other week, so the walls were constantly changing. We didn't have a TV, but we did have one of those 100-disc CD changers with lots of good music. I chose this song because it's the first song on the album that popped into my head when I thought back to opening the place on a Saturday morning, likely at least a bit hungover, sweeping and mopping to do, getting the place ready for another day, which as often as not contained at least some magic. This is Wildflowers by Tom Petty from his album of the same name, and if I close my eyes, I'm mopping that fantastic tile floor with very few cares in the world. Keep listening. I can't believe Church shot me. Oh, don't even start, Caboose! Next time on Three Song Stories. One of the things I wanted growing up was a flat top. Oh, my God. Oh, me too. I so wanted a flat top. <laughs> we can I, commiserate on this. <laughs> oh, wait, like Kid, kid, kid and, and Play. play. Yep. Yeah. I, I wanted a flat top like Kid and Play. And yeah. I was like, you're not getting a haircut I can put a frying pan on. You're right. <laughs>